Back with the great John O'Malley, and we are on to part three. We're going to wrap this up this today. John is going to go away for a while and tell us all the fuck off. <laughs> nice, to, nice to see you again, Will. Yeah, man. I like the name Will. I might use that for now. I, I'm going to tell everybody my name is Will. You look like a Will. I do. I agree. I've always felt like I felt like a Will, but it feels weird saying Matthew. I do it. No, you know, you middle don't, name. I don't like my middle name at all, but I respect What's your middle name? Lyle. I'm you a Lyle. You don't look like a Lyle. Well, it's my grandfather's name. He has no male heirs. So my mom's idea mm-hmm. was to take... Yeah, yeah. 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 So his last name is my middle name. I had a, a young protege for a while when I first started in the advertising business. He looks like... He reminds me of you. He looks a little bit like you. And I his, suck at that. His name was William. William? And I called him Will. That makes totally perfect sense. The, so the then, whole connection. And then you remind me of, of Will. You remind me of Will in uh, a lot of ways. Uh, sweet, sweet, sweet. So, on this journey, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to Carlsbad. This whole madness of construction and screw that other park in Florida that had like a side thing. And I don't know. I guess people, somebody was mad about it. I'm not going to mention any names, but there were people upset that about that. Well, the, the Florida guys have always crowed that um, that was built two weeks before Carlsbad was built. And I'm like, oh, yeah? <laughs> what day is that? And they're like, oh, well, it's just whenever you open two weeks after that. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. No. You tell me, you have a day, you tell me, and then you prove it. Like, I, you know, we have receipts, we have dated photographs, like... So. Your permits, because you know you can't break land without permits. And... Um, right. There's a paper trail. Yeah. Everything has a paper trail. And we have this, and all they have in Florida is a bunch of guys sort of yelling. Um, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? Or whatever it is. It's Florida, man. Um, There's a lot of history that comes out of Florida, man. But no, there was... Uh, we were building when we built it there was nothing uh, there was no other skate parks up and certainly nothing else to go by except for um, drainage ditches um, reservoirs that kind yeah. of a thing and you know you find this in, in in California because the ground in California doesn't absorb water the way it does on the east coast if you dig a hole in California and fill it with water and come back in a couple weeks it's still there, except for what's evaporated. Um, so they, California typically has um, a system of um, aqueducts and viaducts and um, drainage ditches and stuff like that. Because when it rains, the water runs off and you need to be able to channel it. And that's why California has this history of these great, skate, these great homegrown skating terrains. Right. So that's all we had to go by. And, um, but it was because Jack had taken the time to do the engineering, to know the speeds uh, that they would be traveling at, that made the parks, one, workable, and two, fun. Um, you look at snake runs from the era, and they're just out of control. Um, look at these, the snake run at, at Kona, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. But it's just sort of ad hoc. They built the walls big enough to handle anything that could happen, and um, it runs out into a big pool at the bottom, and it works. Right. But Reseda, um, in a lot of places, they just never worked because they just couldn't anticipate the speeds. They, they couldn't predict the speeds. So the, the things never worked right. Um, there's a photo of, there's a video of Scott Williams skating uh, Anaheim. Uh, concrete wave uh, at its opening and it just works like a charm and I can remember looking at the blueprints and Jack go, like every 10 yards or something like that Jack would say okay so he's going to be going 7 miles an hour here uh, he's going to hit a turn that's going to slow him down he's going to be going 6 miles an hour here he's going to hit a turn that's going to accelerate him he's going to be going 15 miles an hour here and you look at the video and his speed is managed perfectly, and there's a lot of elevation difference. So it's not hard to, to manage the speed, perhaps, if you have no drop, no um, 
no downhill, which a lot of skate, skate parks don't have downhill anymore. It's just a flat with no. some stuff. Besides Lansdowne is the last, yeah, Lansdowne is one of the ones that has the only downhill run where you can car come up, come down. Where is that? Lansdowne. I don't, yeah, I don't know where uh, that is. Baltimore. Okay. Um, but um, there's, it's part of what's missing in the sport now. You know, there's no skate parks with elevation differences. There's no skate parks yeah. with downhill uh, any speed factors they just like okay well, let's just throw this stuff in here and it'll work itself out right you, you might get a bowl somewhere on the, off the side and then you have uh, ledges ramps more right. ledges more ledges more ledges and one more maybe one more ramp right so so we had to get it right the first time and we did and the second time and the third time we were able to keep the things under control and that's what made the difference. So when I was looking at the pictures of the waveform, like the from Carlsbad. It's literally you can see it. You got a lot of your inspiration from surfing mm. and the, how the, it breaks, and you see, you could see where the wall breaks and where you can come out the turn and where your line mm-hmm. should be. If yeah. you if you're like used yeah. to skating or surfing, you'll naturally see. Oh, I can take the line up here. Oh, I can hit the top, come down, and pick it's all in, it's all intuitive. There's no explaining it there's no needing a kick yeah. ramp there's no there's no there's no explanation necessary right. there, there's a sea of infinite waves yeah and i feel, it looks like that's what you guys are actually planning so explain that whole process like how did that how did that how did you go about doing that what was the steps that was insane well for the beginners area we let me back up yeah, we had always decided that the terrain would be a part of what dictated the skating environment, so that we would take our cues from naturally occurring um, fluctuations in, in the ground. So, for the beginners area, we had the um, the slope went a certain way, and we just we just backed into that so we said this is what we have this is going to be the beginners area and so and this is how it's going to work and um it was never supposed to be that the beginners area was supposed to be there by itself um but circumstances happened we started building other skate parks and um, so Carlsbad Skate Park didn't perhaps get to evolve in a way that a singular focus by Jack and I would have brought to it. Um, Sorry to cut you off, but it it has a legacy. It left a legacy on so many people that till this day, if I go to anybody... That's pretty much for skating during your era. And oh, yeah. they'll automatically, Carlsbad, man. If you had an opportunity to skate Carlsbad, you would love it. And if it's just like Lansdowne, or they'll compare it to somewhere else. But it, it's the best park that ever existed. It's, well, it's there. Well, it's a beginner. Okay. Well, the beginner's area alone would not, in, in my mind, qualify as that. But, um, you know, we never... You, you have no idea what the future's going to bring. And um, it's interesting. It's very... Um, we're always looking ahead to the next thing instead of staying there and like improving what we had. We were always looking to building the next skate park where when we first started, it was our plan to just work on the skate park Carlsbad and just expand it as we could Um, but that never happened all of a sudden the world opened up and the demand was for skate parks all over the country Mm. and so that um, that affected that adversely affected the terrain in Carlsbad Um, had it been our only focus it would 
be a totally different looking thing. Would it possibly become like a Disney World for skateboarders? Well, that, that was the original it, plan. Because it was because I was listening because reading the book, you guys did have this whole image of the first ever real skate park. Like you would have different runs in different locations. You have concession stands. People could come watch, sit areas. People could sit, eat, all just the whole nine yards. It was one of a kind. It was unique. But how did that transition go from, okay, we're going to focus on this one little thing, and then somebody says, hey, we need you over here, and you guys up and left. Well, we had somebody else running the skate park, and um, it paid well to be a designer, like an architect of other skate parks. So that's how that works. Oh, okay. And so overnight, you guys became architects. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, Jack was already a designer and an engineer and a draftsman, um, and I knew what I wanted. Um, so, yeah. They just gave you the path. Yeah. That's great. That's pretty awesome. So during this time, it was just business, business, business. How many skate parks did you build in all? We built about a dozen. We, we started about a dozen. Jeez. We built half a dozen, but we started, and we consulted on dozens. People would come in. We would help them get off the ground. Uh, we would give them information, business information. And so, like, for instance, in Carlsbad. Right. That's a trippy picture. Yeah. So we're looking at a picture of um, what I called um, the tubular bell. It's a half pipe bent into a triangle. I want to skate that. And so, I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. No, that doesn't exist anymore. That's a whole half pipe that goes around. Look, you can, it's an all day ride. I don't have to stop. I don't have to hop out. No, there's other parks that are not built like that. I can't ride a park like that. There's no park that you can ride like that anywhere. And unfortunately, before we got a chance to pave it, the market tanked. So what was that too? Like you was in the part where skateboarding was on this explosive rise. Like everything was happening. It, it was, you have no idea where it's going to go. And then, snatch. 1979, I believe, right? Yeah. How did the, that crash happen? The market, like, fell, the market fell out. The, um, it was oversaturated. I mean, everybody in the world or in the, in the United States that wanted to skateboard probably already had one or two. Um, there was also, I mean, skateboarding rises and falls, I think, on the demographic ripple of, um, you know, young boys. So when there's a spike in young boys in the, whatever that would be, um, demographically, you see uh, a spike in, in popularity in skateboarding. So, you know, we went from zero to 200 in a year or so. And then it crashed, and it took, it took a lot out of the market. It took, you know, maybe fifty percent, seventy percent out of the market. What was left was still a huge thing, but it was not enough to make a meal out of for many people. Um, and then I know I I was watching a documentary about Del Mar Skate Park. It's a wonderful place. It's another place that's say wonderful. Just one of the most legendary. Yeah, and. Um, and they said, all of a sudden, people stopped showing up. Just out of, the, like, one day, people, they came to the doors, and, like, you're expecting to have a skate, a, like, a whole group of skaters, and they just... Nobody's coming and, and buying tickets. Not one soul. Well, no, there would be enough. Well, there would be some, but not enough to, you know... To make the, the doors stay open. Yeah. That is... And, um, so that's what happened. And then, also, um, liability insurance for commercial skate parks was not available. Um... So it was like a perfect storm that just blew the roof off the thing. That's... Yeah. I want to know, what the hell was you thinking getting on an airplane more than one time after the first time when it knows... Well, you just tell the story, man. <laughs> you tell the story because this is some oh shit story. So we needed to um, expand. We didn't... To, we wanted to build a series of skate parks across the country. Um, 
And so we couldn't do that on our own. We needed um, money and we needed um, expertise. And we merged with a couple of guys who could do that, who had both those qualities among others. And uh, when we merged with them, um, we merged our companies. They had a plane that came into the in, into uh, the company, and um, I bet she was like, "Sweet, we got a fucking plane." <laughs> I um, I didn't really think about it that much uh, until like the first day I got on it, and it landed, and it's this wonderful thing. It's like a if you think about a a corporate jet mm-hmm. only with propellers instead of, but it Sable was Legends, Cessna. It was a, a, a dual-engine oh. Piper Navajo. We had, we had bought it from the vice president of the Piper Corporation, so it was done like a jet. It had um, facing seating. It had a bar. It That's had a, a bathroom. Oh, yeah, it was very sexy. If you, know, if you're per, if you look at planes and you're a plane person, you'll know. That's a sexy plane. It was very... Yeah, it had a bar, a bathroom, um, a telephone, which was absolutely unheard of. Um, and I remember... I was there with Jack and his friend Roy from Alaska, and they just hop right on the thing. And this is a wonderful thing. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm like 22 years old, and I'm like, all oh, right, I want a private plane with a ball, <laughs> and now I have a plane. So I look. I'm just. I stay. Uh, I'm outside, and I'm just taking the whole thing. I walk around it a couple times, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh my god, this thing is crazy. My partner comes out. He's like, what's up? I'm like, I'm just looking. He's like, why? And I'm like, that's how I make sense of my world, you know? I don't. So he goes back in. I'm still looking around. He's like, get on the plane. <laughs> I'm like, like all right, I'm you. just taking it. He's like, get on the plane. Nothing's going to happen. Just get on the plane. So I'm like, okay, great. We get on the plane. And um, Jack and Roy are facing the tail of the plane. I'm facing the nose of the plane. I can see out the window. The cockpit door is open. And I can see out the window, and I'm watching. There's a pilot. Um, he's an ex-Vietnam um, fighter pilot, Randy. And Randy, and he had brought along a friend of his, Larry, from his squad, who was just around for the day or something like that. So he took the ride. Anyway, so we get to Santa Monica. You can I identify, you know. I, Sorry you, to cut you off, but I had I just got to get this thought out of my head. But during the whole process of reading this part of the book, hmm. I always seen this as like a whole comedy episode, comedy part of the movie where Randy and Larry just sitting there oh. going back and forth. Fuck, man, what were we gonna do? <laughs> Even though it's well, not funny, but well, but Ran- as it turns out, Randy and Larry were a couple of um, fighter pilots from Vietnam. And a couple of just cowboys. All of these guys, all these fighter pilots, they're cowboys. And um, there's nothing that they like better than when something goes south and they have to figure out how to bring it in and how to not die. So, anyway, so we... we (laughs) Don't play with me alarm clock. I'm not trying to die today. The clock in the house just sounded. Um, so we get to Santa Monica Airport. I'm the only one facing forward, and we go into the landing pattern. Not a, there's not another plane in front of us. There's not a cloud in the sky. It's a perfect blue day. We go, come in to the airport and go right over it. And Randy turns around, looks in the back, kind of like. And then he would go and circle around again. Same thing. You know, we uh, we fly by, no touchdown. We go past the uh, the control tower, nothing. Randy turns around, looks back. <laughs> Why do you keep looking back? Why are you looking at me? And uh, <laughs> so this is a red flag. And we come around for the third time. Same thing. Tower goes by. We don't land. Randy turns around. And he notices that I've busted him and that the jig is up. And he's like, um, uh, listen, yeah, you know, it's really not your day to fly. And now I'm like. What does like, he mean by that? Yeah, exactly. 
and I just and I just lost it. And I'm like, don't you give me that shit. What's wrong? And he goes, the nose wheel won't come down. And I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> and I decide to and I decide to torture um Jack and Roy for treating me like a Cub Scout getting on the plane. And I'm like, well, I don't care because I have precognition that I am not going to die in a plane crash. And everybody gets real quiet and real serious and they lean in. They're like, really? And I'm like, no. <laughs> See, that's a whole, oh my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is a whole moment of a movie where you're just sitting there like, you're about to die. Everybody screams like, I'm not going to die. Like, how do you know that? I don't know. I just know the future. For real? No. <laughs> right. It was. It's that moment of anticipation where you really need a miracle here. Yeah. And now maybe this guy's got one. And you're like, nah, I don't. I just want to yeah. say fuck you for treating me like a Cub Scout back there. <laughs> Put me on this goddamn plane. I'm from Long Island. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> So they do all this stuff that you do. There's um, the nose wheel uh, was the nose wheel wouldn't come down. The nose wheel was broken. The, right. the, there was a hydraulic line that had a, a, a hole in it, and the manual override, which a nose wheel would normally have, was um, uh, hydraulic was you used a hydraulic pump, so that's not going to work. So both of your hydraulic, both your hydraulic pump, your hydraulic pump is dead. So there's no way to manually the hydraulic. Yeah, right, right, right. So whether you're pumping it or the machine is doing it, it's not going to work. Wow. Yeah, and that um, sucks. so somebody in the control tower says, "Well, go through these whoop de doo things and try to swing it into place, and then it'll lock." <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't sound like it's going to work. Sounds like bullshit to me too. But, so we go through this whole series of like whoop de doos. Oh, your stomach must have felt like shit. No, no, I liked it. I liked yeah. it. I like. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a big roller coaster guy, and um, so I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm like, this is never going to work, and it didn't. So um, we go out over the Pacific. We dump all the fuel. It's now your glider. And uh, well, before that, on, on the last one of these whoop de doo things. I see now they've got all of the um, fire engines and they're foaming the runway and all the stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck are they there for? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I can see that they're anticipating a crash and burn. And I'm like, oh, this is just a bad story starting to happen. Yeah. Fuck. And um, so we, we go out over the ocean. We dump the fuel and we come in for a final, for a final landing. So, so there's two of them now, the, uh, the two pilots in the cockpit, and so Randy comes in super sl as slow as he can, puts the rear wheels on the runway, and then stands up out of his seat, and the guy in the right seat, the co-pilot, he is holding the nose up, and driving the plane perfectly straight, and um, so Randy gets up. He unbuckles his thing, gets up, leans out over the console, and then turns the um, the engine, the right engine, on and off in such a way so to, so that the propellers wouldn't catch when we went down. And then he does the same thing calmly with the left one. And meanwhile, you know, the end of the the end of the runway is, is like coming up at us, you know, at 150 miles an hour. And I'm like, Randy, 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 Randy. And he's cool <laughs> as a cucumber. His uh, Larry is holding the nose up. Randy gets things just the way he likes them. He sits back down, buckles it up, takes the control, puts it down. And um, now we're landing with no nose wheel. The uh, The nose of the plane is just grinding on the runway. It's making this horrible noise. Oh. Sparks flying all over the place. And... Um, no oh, fireball situation, no, huh? We didn't, we didn't burst into flames. Thank goodness. And I was so super aware that by the time we skidded to a stop, I was already outside the plane with the hatch open, 
looking back into the plane, I have no idea how I got there. I know you gave that plane a fucking middle finger as you walked away. And um, so just no. as I'm standing... You did it again. <laughs> yeah. And just as I'm standing there, my partners, the Toms, come up. And it's like something scripted out of a movie. And um, they're in a Mercedes convertible with the top down. It's a beautiful day. They both have sunglasses on. And um, they come up, and Tom Rockwell is driving. And he goes, well, you certainly have a flair for a dramatic uh, entrance. And I'm like, I almost fucking died there. What, are you kidding me? That's not funny. Yeah, you're so okay. You're pissed right now. Yeah, my sense of humor is, is yeah. It's not there. At the gone moment. out the window. Yeah. And um, so anyway, they, um, we did, we were going to fly to um, Mammoth Mountain to work, but we stayed in Santa Monica. Uh, Tom had a beach house there, so we we went there. We worked there for the weekend, but. Um, was y'all there to build another skate park? That's why you flew in? Yeah. Yeah, we were working. Huh. Mm-hmm. And everything had to be done shit. quickly and quietly. And so I used, we used that plane a lot. So it's just like when you total your car, they give you a loaner car. They gave us a loaner plane. And we used that for a time. But it was really, for the amount of times I flew... There was a lot of crashes involved. And what? A- and after yeah. a while, I just started driving. So um, The second crash was the... Well, I mean, you went through a cloud. Right. There was an yeah. episode where we went through a, a, what was a thunderhead. And it was, very, it was a beautiful California day once Another again. Another beautiful day. <laughs> and Randy's driving. And there's no co-pilot, just me. And... Um, it was just you and Randy this time. Yeah. And and I'm thinking, okay, we we'll go through the cloud. As soon as we go into a cloud, it's like bam, 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 bam. It's like you walked into a gauntlet, and people are just like pounding you up from top <coughs> and bottom and sideways, and you're getting stoved up and down, and it's terrifying, right? Because I guess you these microbursts or something they the would hit you, hit they would hit you from directions. the from so. the top and drive you straight down. Yeah, so this crazy thing with wind gusts when you're in open plane, and there's no actual direction for the wind to go. So yeah. if it's going sideways and you're going straight, when the wind hits the plane, yeah, it, it was like itself. that. Yeah, and this is a small plane now. This is a twin. This is a this is a single engined Piper Navajo. It's a five seater, which means we're talking about 150 mile air burst. You're probably getting hit rocked. Hard in yeah. a storm about yeah. oh. close to sixty. If it's if it's a bad storm, if it's like when I was hundred fifty miles, you're not flying. But if it's like a maybe thirty to forty mile per hour wind gust, you can still fly. It's just not going to be a fun ride. Um, this was uh, this must have been totally unexpected because one, it was back when weather weather prediction wasn't that easy, and and two, I don't know what two is anyway. Um, and Rand, Randy goes to me. He's, he yells at me, "Don't worry, the plane is is designed to take this kind of stress." <laughs> and I'm like, "You know, he lied to us about the nose wheel for a while. I don't know if I can trust Randy entirely." And you know, you're you're totally great. You have you can't see anything. You're just this. It's gray, fog, and drilling rain, and you're just getting pushed around, and it's just freaking terrifying and um and just as about uh, and just about when i'm ready to like crawl up into a ball and start sucking my thumb we pop out of the uh, of the uh the cloud and everything's beautiful and sunny in orange county and i'm like i am never going to do that again <laughs> i will walk home before i do that again and then the straw that see. broke the, the camel's back was we were coming home late one night, coming back into Carlsbad, into Palomar Airport, with a really nasty crosswind, a north wind. Oh. And it, uh, just as we got on the deck and we're about to touch down, uh, we got hit by a microburst from the side, and it blew us off of the runway. We're like, like 10 feet above the runway. It blew us off the runway. And Randy, and of course the runway... The end of the runway is come up, and Randy 
muscles it back over the runway, but we're a little cockeyed. And he puts it, he puts it down, and we and the gear hit, and we bounce and tip sideways and nick a little uh, nick a little piece off of the wing, and then we bounce again and again. It was like bam, 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 bam. And then he gets it on the ground, and he and he puts the brakes on. And I'm like, that's it. Randy's one hell of a fucking pilot. Oh yeah, he's a cowboy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. I mean, if you're going down, I want him to be my pilot all the time. Fuck oh, yeah. that. Like, yeah, no. Randy and Larry are a couple of cowboy pilots, and you know, uh, a bad situation is their favorite kind of rodeo. And a bad situation is a good situation for them. It's a, just an opportunity for fun. And um, I don't worry about it, brother. We're gonna make it out alive. How the fuck you know that? Hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> we haven't died yet, have we? <laughs> oh boy. And um, I take it you heard that from him at one point. We haven't died yet, have we? Yeah. <laughs> that must have been one hell of a conversation that day. And um, well, I've had the same thing from other pilots. All pilots have a funereal sense of humor, and because they all know that it, their number could come up, they're doing something where you know. You could die. A certain amount of plane crashes every year. You could it could be your plane. It could be not your fault. So they're all prepared to go in one way or another, and they usually deal with that with gallows humor. Mm-hmm. And um, I told this to a pilot friend of mine. Um, I said, "Yeah, I've had bad luck in small planes." And he goes, "Now, John, it seems to me like you've had very, very good luck in small planes because you're not dead." And I'm like, "That's not funny, Sean." <laughs> Sean's right. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes, we're back with a little break. Um, so we're going to go into this wild... You're smoking in a band in a sense. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Running away from smoking. Yeah. Um, right. Not so, once. You're a badass. You know that? <laughs> not anymore, I'm not. No, you called down. Um... Part of part of my job was skating new terrain, right? And the word got out that there were these huge pipes in Arizona, and so we went out there to skate them. It was part of the Central Arizona Central Arizona project, which was diverting the Colorado River into Arizona. The Central Arizona project was pushed through Congress. By Lyndon Johnson, and he actually used it to um, get his um, political agenda uh, across. Meaning all of that civil rights stuff yeah. that the Kennedy started and yeah. Johnson followed through on. He got the votes by selling little pieces of the Central Arizona project to different contractors in different states. The money was crazy. It's the biggest public works project that the United States has ever had. It's crazy money. And so um, part of that, Central Arizona, a lot of the Central Arizona project, the water project, runs above ground in like culverts, but a portion of it runs underground through these big pipes that Amaron made. And um, so we went out and skated these pipes. They were the, um, the recession had mm-hmm. stopped the project, so all these pipes were just hanging around in the desert, nobody guarding them, and a big section of it already laid underneath the ground that you could skate for miles and miles and miles, but for, um, you know, no, no light, no dead. Yeah, it's one of the coolest images that you'll see, because there's so, there's so much, there's a lot of people get that image of that shot of that area where they ride in the twos and they're just rocking back and forth and you see that picture, it's like, wow. I want to go there. Yeah, you want to go there. Yeah. And um, we went out a couple times. And the last time, um, on my last run, I was backside up against the, the top of the pipe. And I fell off my board and free fell from the top of the pipe, you know, 15 feet in the air. Oh! Right onto my face. I broke my fall with my face and I broke my right front tooth like in half. And this causes immediate excruciating pain. So, fortunately, <clears throat> we fortunately we had in the car a um, 
well, a, a big bag of cocaine. And um, I used it to just dab a little on the on the open tooth, and that killed the pain. Right. So it's kind of weird that cocaine works that damn well. Well, that's for, what it's for. I mean, that's yeah, it's for it's a topical um, pain reliever. Yeah, it was a topical I pain reliever. Let me find out to get you high. And um, so I'm sick. It's a Sunday. All the dentists in the whole world are closed. But my friend has a family friend out on the coast in Long Beach. So we have to get from outside of Phoenix to um, to Long Beach as fast as we can on a Sunday night. And so that's what we did. I was driving the company's um, brand new El Camino with the biggest Chevy engine that nice. Chevy made. <laughs> and um, I had a, a little shell on the back. So uh, myself and Don were in the front, and then we had Tommy Cunninger in the back of the pickup, just rolling around. It's like El Camino, though. Of course, you're saying that. I'm just that's one of my favorite cars. People hate that car because of what it looks, but like meaning in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. People know about the El Camino. It has like it's a it's a it's a muscle car, Mm -hmm. but it's also a truck. It's a it's a gentleman contractor's car. Yes. And um, so I'm, I get on the road. We pick up a, a like a, a half pint of uh, whiskey. Uh, Don decided that he, you're going to nip on this. That that'll kill the pain. I don't know that whiskey's ever killed pain for me. So I'm taking little hits on that, dabbing the the cocaine on my tooth and driving about 110 miles an hour in traffic, going back to the coast. Hold amid- on, so you got a whiskey high. No, you got a cocaine high. You got a whiskey high. <laughs> I, I wasn't. <laughs> and I, driving. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how high the cocaine gets you when it's in, put into your body through your tooth. And the whiskey, I didn't really. I wasn't really drinking it. I just took a couple nips. Hardly even any. So I wasn't terribly. I wasn't drunk, but I was certainly in a hurry to get back to the um, the coast. So I'm going, I'm the fastest thing on the road. Everybody else is going 70 in big Winnebago's and contractor pickups, towing boats, and I'm weaving in and out. And at some point in the open road, a uh, Arizona State Highway patrolman passes me going in the other direction and, you know, clocks me going like a solid 300 miles an hour. Your heart must have stopped. And he, I see in my rear, in my side view mirror, his lights go on. And now he's headed in the other direction, and there's a divider in between us. So he has to go back to the next exit, mm. uh, east, use the cloverleaf, turn around, and then catch us. And um, which he was going to do in a hurry. And I realized this, and I didn't. There's not a lot of exits out there. I didn't know exactly how to to uh, to play this, but I thought that stopping and talking to the police. With the cocaine in the car, a miner in the back, and an open bottle of whiskey yeah, in the cab. It just seemed something I didn't want to do. Yeah, you're going to jail for a very long time. So, <laughs> what I did was this. I pulled up next to a Winnebago going 60 or whatever it was. And I just pulled up right next to him and stopped all the traffic. No, I wasn't letting anybody by. And I caused a line of traffic in back of us for hundreds of yards. And um, the cop has still not gotten to his to the next exit to turn around. But eventually he does. And I see his, his, his uh, lights in the rearview mirror. And, of course, a cop with his lights on, pulls up in back of you, you pull over, he passes. So the, the cars are pull, uh, peeling off one by one. And my, my lead between me and the, the cop is, is, is dwindling away. And um, I could see that there was an exit coming up. And what I did was this. I got out of the left-hand lane, and I pulled in front of the Winnebago I was riding next to. And I eased down on my brakes, and I slowed us down, me and him, down to around 30 miles an hour. Oh, you created an illusion trick on him. Yeah, and I got close enough to his front bumper so that you really couldn't notice me until after you were passed. So anyway, the cars are whipping by us. Now they're all pissed for having had waited for all that time. They're, um, they're whipping by us, 
and I could see the cop in my rearview mirror and the the exit was coming up and I timed it just right. I slowed down, slowed down, slowed down, slowed down. And just as the cop was passing me, I peel off the um, onto the exit ramp in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. That's crazy. And, um, and the cop goes blasting by me, but he catches it right away. He knows exactly what I've done. So what he does is he goes to the on-ramp up a couple hundred yards, makes a kind of a, a right-hand U-turn and goes... Uh, up the on-ramp the wrong way, as it were. Yeah. So I got off of the off-ramp. He went down, came on the on-ramp, and came up against traffic. And um, he's in hot pursuit. So what I did was I got I exited, and then there was like a service road next to it. This yeah. is, it's not really a town, but there was a uh, an abandoned gas station there and maybe one or two other structures, and I whipped in back of the gas station. Smart. And played possum. And um, I could see through the, the rear doors and the front doors, I could see the, the cop coming up the wrong way on the exit ramp. And he comes up and I hold my breath. Because he, if he comes straight, he's going he's gonna to come right at me. And he comes up, he sniffs the wind, and he, he bolts uh, west. He heads west at, in hot pursuit. And I just, uh, as soon as he left... I got back on the road and I hightailed it to California and we got to the dentist after dinner and um, they fixed me up. So and what the hell was going through your mind? I didn't think I should stop and talk to the police. That was the only thing? Like, I'm just not going to stop and talk to the police. Like, oh, well. What? They didn't want to stop and talk to the police because he, he would search the car. Oh, you had enough cocaine to send you to jail for a very long time. Right. Now, and speeding, speeding. Yeah, uh, having the kid in the back was not a, was not a violation, but it didn't look good. No, and you know having all this drugs and alcohol with a minor, that's not good either. No. Um. So that was my my thinking there. That's insane. I mean, you got away. That's the. Knocking with yeah, this is me making the sign of the cross. <laughs> like, all right, let's hope this cop is dumb. Well, he wasn't dumb. He just, he just, he wasn't dumb. He just made the wrong. He just, he well, just had to guess, and he guessed the wrong way. Right. Well, I can't say intelligent wise dumb, but like for that moment, he's not. He's not. He he could have gone in three different directions, and he just picked the wrong one. Uh, oh, so it was three. All right. He could have gone straight, which would have led him right to me. He could have made a right. Which I, I think is classically what most people do when they're uh, running yeah, they away. Right they turns. they make right turns. Yeah, but he made it. a left and he stayed sort of headed westbound, and I was hiding. Smart. So I apologize to that cop. Sorry, I hurt your feelings, buddy. If he's still around. Oh, he's long retired, living the good life. Sweet, sweet life. Last part, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get John's thoughts on modern day skateboarding and skate parks. Right, like, yeah, I'll let you ramble, man. Well, I'll <laughs> let you rant. <laughs> well, these days, largely, most often, it's popular for a municipality to put in a street plaza. Um... So a couple things. One used to be that skate parks were private enterprises and you could build whatever you can imagine. Now skate parks are municipal enterprises and they have to build by consensus or price. Um, so a municipality says, well, we want to build a skate park. And they reach out to a skate park company and they say, okay, yeah, yeah we, can, we can build you a skate park for, for cheap. And they're like, oh, this is great. This is great value. But what it is, it's a crappy little street plaza and, um, and, and little else. Now, it's really inexpensive to build a set of stairs, to build these rails. To, this is not even breathing hard. It's not innovative. And um, it's just more expensive to put in a pool, to put in transitions, all this stuff costs more money than these street plazas. Their street plazas are cookie cutter. They're they're nouveau. They're cheap, and this is why they've been proliferated. Additionally, 
skaters these days, they don't even have a memory of transitional skating. So you can't expect them to crave something that they've never even actually heard of or seen, much less skated. So these cookie cutter street plazas have been proliferated to puke them in recent dec in decades. And the real great surf centric skate park is the very rare exception. And honestly, skate park designers are remiss here and I lay it at their feet. And don't give me that. It's what the client wanted, sniveling. Henry Ford had a saying, goes like this. If he asked what, if Henry Ford asked his customers what they wanted back in the day when he was building his cars, they would have just said, a faster horse. So you can't really look necessarily to the skating population for vision. And skate park designers, I expect them to know more and to do better. You're on the mound, you pick the pitches, and you've been tossing meatballs for decades now. Skate park development has devolved into a slow motion game of slow pitch meatballs. Um, and make no mistake, bank turns are why we do this. Back in the day, the kids in Upland did not stop to screw around with the, with the, the sidewalks and the curbs. They got their asses down to the skate park and they skated full pipe. In, with, with the option of grand uh, vertical transitional terrain, the prospect of skating a curb is not very appealing at all. And, and these street plazas and pools, which is the thing that we, street plazas are, are the main focus of, of skate park development these days. It's the odd skate park that puts in a pool. And, but both of those things, they both exclude um, street skaters, meaning push skaters, longboard skaters. I mean, why is it okay to exclude longboard skaters? They're not ever considered even. It's not that they're excluded. They're not even considered. They're not considered to be you know, worthy of building terrain for. So you take a, but you can take your longboard down to Kona Skate Park and skate that snake run like nobody's business. And um, so what's wrong? Why haven't we put in more uh, snake runs? They're easy to use. They're user friendly. Anybody can use them. You got your uh, bikes, skateboards, scooters, longboards. They can all use them. Now, if you're groaning about the bikes and the, uh, the scooters, well then just go fuck yourself because they have a right to have a little bit of fun too. Um, and I would suggest that it's these snake runs, these really good snake runs that really go the distance. There's a Pinterest page for the 20 best snake runs in the world. I mean, I, I don't have a Pinterest page that I can find for my 20 favorite curbs to slide along. Um, And people say, well, you know, we got to try things. We don't want to try things new. It's too expensive. And Look, the whole thing is an expensive enterprise. <clears throat> and innovation is mandatory. There's no absolving yourself from having to try something new. You have to try something new. You're obligated. And innovation is indeed obligatory. So this whole business of what I call popsicle idolatry, building skate parks, building a whole skateboard world around popsicle skateboards is just, it's, it's, it's really annoying. And we should put it in our rearview mirror. We should broaden our horizons and death to popsicle idolatry. You know, after 40 years, skate, skateboards are exactly the same. It's the same trucks, it's the same wheels, the bearings. Nothing has changed since the innovations of the, of the mid-70s. So by contrast, the terrain skate parks should be innovative and interesting. Uh, we haven't seen a new skating form in decades. It's time for us to see those.
two entire generations of skaters, Gen X and millennials, that have grown up in a world of sustained oppression towards skaters, universally a runoff and equated to vandals. It's produced kind of a Stockholm Syndrome among the skating population, where even the possibility of a measly knee-high street plaza is met with joy and ecstasy and gratitude, and we've set, we've set our sights entirely too low. It's, it's time for the cities all over the world to build Olympic-quality facilities and way past time to, retar- to return to large-format traditional bank-turn formats. Roll, you have to roll the dice a little. Have to, you have to build new things. Where's the next capsule bowl? Where's the next Tomoko Moon Forest? The next Carlsbad Moguls? The next Grand Pipe? You know, blend all that stuff together and uh, mix it with contemporary pump track uh, layouts and technology design. And then, you know, call me. That's something I want to skate. You know, and what's wrong with this picture here? Uh, Surfing has Kelly Slater's wave pool throwing up 30-second long barrels in the middle of the California desert, while the skater market, larger than all of its gravity sports cousins combined, goes begging for the crumbs of a short-order municipal skate park street plaza. we got to do better here. And this says loud and clear that skaters are miserably underserved by their customized terrain. And the good news is that this is fixable. So where do I get off with all the skate park ranting? You know, I started building skating models as a kid, rode them with little fingerboards, made waves in the sand, waves in the sheets. My first three skateboards had steel wheels, and I've stayed with it ever since. In grade school, we built bobsled runs in the slow for our snurfer snowboards. In high school, on Long Island, we rode asphalt banks on clay wheels. I built my first skate park when I was 21. No one has thought about this longer or on a more granular level than I have this is actually original thought. Just deal with it.